You're listening to The Unsunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us, this is The Unsunday Show. Hello, friends. Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show. Hey, I feel like I left you hanging in the last episode, kind of uh, wondering what was going on there. My battery died in my computer, and I wasn't anywhere near my charger. So I thought, all right, I'm just going to shut this thing off right now so I can save it. I didn't want to lose all of my work, so I decided to just go ahead and shut it down right then and there so I could at least uh, produce what I had recorded so far. So this is going to actually be part two of the topic of pulpits and why is there a pulpit and the purpose of the pulpit and the priority that institutional religion and institutional Christianity has of the pulpit. So let's pick up where we left off as good as we can and see what we can add to this discussion. You know, the pulpit really is the center of what institutional religion and institutional Christianity produces. Like I talked about in that part one of this uh, series, this little mini-series, everything is geared toward the pulpit. Everything faces the pulpit. You walk into the building. I think this is where I left you in that conversation. I don't know for sure, but you walk into the building and everything is pointed toward the pulpit. The pulpit, the platform, that whole thing, that whole scenario is kind of the focal point of the day. It's the high point of the week. It's why we're there. We're there so that we can listen to someone get behind the pulpit and tell us what we need to know. Now, the bad part about that is that what we're getting is someone's opinion of something that may or may not be correct. And in most instances, what we get from the pulpit is a to-do list. It's a list of things to be accomplished during the week or accomplished in your personal life that will make you more fit for the kingdom of God. You don't hear a lot about Jesus from a pulpit. Now, when I make that kind of a statement, I'm not making a blanket statement overall because that's certainly not true. But the usual sequence of events is that we don't hear much about Jesus. We hear more about our lack of or our failure of being able to do what needs to be done in order to keep God happy with us, with us to make God happy with us, to keep him from being mad at us, as though behavior modification was something that pleased God apart from Jesus. It's very rare that in an institutional church setting, you'll hear complete freedom expounded from the pulpit. In other words, you're free in Jesus. You're, you're qualified. The life of God is in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you because the Holy Spirit is in you. He is leading you. He is guiding you apart from the institution. You're not going to hear a whole lot of that. You might hear it every once in a while, but then it always comes back to, we need to be doing more. We need to be working harder. We need to be sweating more for Jesus in order to keep him happy with us. And because we're in an institutional setting, we need to promote the institutional setting. And the way that we do that is to tell people that they're never finished. 
you never come to the end of the to-do list. There's always something more to do. And the pulpit is the focal point for that. The pulpit is the megaphone, if you will, to kind of advertise that kind of thinking out to the group. And because we're so trained to be passive, and we're so trained to just kind of sit and listen and accept everything that we hear from the professional person up front, because after all, they are the trained professional, and they wouldn't steer us wrong, right? And we're so geared toward listening to that in a passive way or in a passive fashion that we just accept it. We don't question it. We don't think that, hey, well, maybe there's more to this story than what I'm hearing. Maybe the finished work of Jesus really is finished. Maybe when Jesus said, it is finished, as he was hanging there on the cross, he actually meant it. But the problem with what we hear in institutional settings so much of the time is that it isn't really finished. It's up to you to get busy, to stay busy, to finish the work on your own, you know, through, through effort, through giving, through, you know, tithing, through attendance, through church membership. You know, all this whole list just goes on and on and on, and it gets exhausting. But the pulpit is the megaphone to make that announcement week after week after week after week. And the pulpit is the priority. The pulpit is the center of the week. It's the high point of the week. And the person behind the pulpit is responsible to tell you what you need to do or what you need to be or the lack of what you do or the lack of who you are to kind of take away your identity and say, well, you're just not enough as you are. You need to constantly be working harder and harder in order to promote our message, in order to promote the institutional environment that we're in. That's the usual case. I have some quotes here from different individuals concerning the pulpit and concerning their view of the pulpit and the importance of the pulpit to the institutional setting. The centrality of the pulpit is reinforced in some of these quotes, and it's really kind of amazing. Let me share a couple of these with you. Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise her. End of quote. Wow, did you hear that? The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise her. Will God ever despise his bride? Will God ever, under any condition, any circumstance, despise the body of Christ? No. Absolutely not. Now, let me say in the context of this quote, too, that I don't despise the pulpit. I just want to talk about why it's there. I want to ask the question, why is there a pulpit and why is it at the center? I'm not despising the pulpit. I mean, it's a piece of furniture. It's it's neutral. But it's what the system has turned it into that I'm addressing. And I'm not attacking people here. I'm attacking a system that I think is harmful to the body of Christ. I want to examine more closely this system that we call institutional church or institutional Christianity or institutional religion, whatever term we want to use, this church, this term that, or this a setting that we've institutionalized and we've elevated the pulpit to the point where the pulpit is the dispensary of all truth. And if we say anything against the pulpit, if we say anything contrary to that, to quote Spurgeon, God will despise you. False. Wrong. That will never happen. Jesus said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're told in the New Testament that as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. In other words, the Father is treating you just like he treats Jesus. And he's never going to despise you. 
But according to Spurgeon, if we take any issue with the pulpit, then, you know, we're, we're in trouble. God's going to despise us. Dwight Moody uh, put it this way. He said, quote, the best way to revive a church is to build a fire in the pulpit, end of quote. In other words, it's the pulpit that's at the center. It's the pulpit that's at the center of this institutional church, and we have to ignite the pulpit somehow with, with fiery speech, fiery sermons in order to keep the church alive. Well, listen, the church has been made alive by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing you and I can do to diminish that or add to it. You're already alive. The death that you needed to die, you died with Jesus. You've died to sin. You've died to the law. You've died to the power of sin. And Christian, you've already been revived. You have a new heart. You have a new life. Those are gifts from the Holy Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill said this, quote, we need more prophets in our pulpits, end of quote. We need more prophets in our pulpits. In other words, the priority of the pulpit. The pulpit is at the center. The pulpit is number one. Robert Southey put it this way when he said, the pulpit is a clergyman's parade. The pulpit is a clergyman's parade. And so there's our term clergy again, as opposed to laity, another layer of separation between us and them that I've talked about, you know, numerous times in here. But Robert Southey comes out and claims that the pulpit is the clergyman's parade. In other words, it's his or her time. It's, it's their time to tell you what you need to be doing. And it's a parade. It's a show-off time, if you will, for the clergy, whoever the clergy are. And as I've said in previous episodes, in the New Testament, the word that's translated clergy in our English language is a word that's always used for the entire body of Christ, never a special group within the body of Christ, but the entire body of Christ, the entire assembly. I thought this quote from James Baldwin was quite revealing. He said this, quote, Being in the pulpit was like being in the theater. I was behind the scenes, and I knew how the illusion worked. End of quote. Let me read that for you again, because I agree with this one. Being in the pulpit was like being in the theater. I was behind the scenes, and I knew how the illusion worked. Wow. There's a confession. There's an admission. I know how the illusion works. I know how the illusion worked because I was in the pulpit. I was filling the pulpit. I was the dude behind the pulpit. I was the one mounting the pulpit, the holy pulpit, the place where God speaks, the place where God's anointed stands to speak. Listen, Christian, you're anointed. We're all anointed. We've all received this anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's no one, there's no one of us that has more of it than someone else. There is no foo-foo dust where Mr. Pastor over here gets more foo-foo dust sprinkled on him than you and I have on us. That doesn't exist. He gives the Spirit without measure, we're told. And there is no special God's anointed who gets behind this pulpit from week to week to tell you what to do because we've all received that anointing. And the last half of that verse says, because we have this anointing, all of us, we have no need for anyone to teach us. In other words, the Holy Spirit is sufficient in our lives to lead and guide us. He's the one who has anointed us. And so James Baldwin kind of exposes what's going on there when he says being behind the pulpit was like being in a theater. I was behind the scenes, and I knew how the illusion worked. I thought Susan B. Anthony's quote concerning pulpits was quite revealing when she said this, quote, The worst enemy women have is in the pulpit. End of quote. Again, that's Susan B. Anthony of all people. 
The worst enemy women have is in the pulpit. Wow, that is so true. I mean, look at the history of institutional Christianity. The ones hurt most by the influence of institutional religion and institutional church are women and children. I've said that in the past. They're the most vulnerable because the system itself has made them the most vulnerable. And so it's kind of a catch-22. It's like circular reasoning. They're the ones that have the most to lose because they're told they can't speak. They're told to keep silent in the churches. I think that these are misrepresentations, misinterpretations, misunderstandings of certain verses within the New Testament that have been translated and interpreted incorrectly to silence women, to silence half of the body of Christ, because that's what we're doing when we silence women. We're silencing half of the body of Christ. And that message is nowhere more apparent than from behind most pulpits. Not all pulpits, but most of them have that message that women are not allowed to get behind this thing and say anything. And so what happens? We're missing out on what half of the body of Christ has to say. We're missing out on what half of the body of Christ thinks. And that's not good. Leonard Ravenhill added this. He said, quote, If we had more hellfire preaching in the pulpit, then we would have less hell-bound people in the pew. Let me read it again. If we had more hellfire preaching in the pulpit, then we would have less hell-bound people in the pew. In other words, for him, the priority of the pulpit on each Sunday morning and throughout the week is this preaching of, of condemnation, this preaching of, of hellfire, this preaching of guilt, this preaching of shame, this preaching of false guilt that's placed on God's people who are under no condemnation. But he is saying, well, you know, part of the function of the pulpit and part of the reason why the pulpit is such a priority is we need to talk about hell. We need to talk about fire and brimstone out of the pulpit. And so that's part of his take on the priority of the pulpit and why the pulpit is such a necessity. Martin Luther said this in the context of talking about pulpits, and I'll, this will be my last quote that I, that I give you. But this is Martin Luther, and he said this, quote, Ears are the only organs of the Christian. End of quote. Did you catch that? Christian, sit down and listen. Don't talk. Just listen and obey and act on what you're being told from the pulpit. Because again, ears are the only organs of the Christian. In other words, the pulpit is such a priority that your only job and my only job is to sit passively in the pew or passively in the chair or passively on the bench, whatever context that we're in, and listen. Don't act. Listen. Don't have independent thoughts. Listen. Listen and obey, because that's the institutional uh, religions or institutional church's ultimate agenda is conformity, that we conform to what we're hearing, that we conform to what we're being told without questioning it. Because, again, the person behind the pulpit is thought to be some super spiritual person who's got some kind of special anointing that the rest of us don't have. Why? Because we've so professionalized it. We've so sat passively for so long that we don't know how not to sit passively and how to actually stand up and question things and say, wait a minute, this can't be true. This isn't who I am in Jesus. 
this isn't God's opinion of me. You can't stand up and, and claim those kinds of things. You can't stand up and say those kinds of things because your only job is that of an ear. Well, remember in 1 Corinthians, when Paul was talking about the body of Christ and how it's composed and how it's made up, he was saying that the body of Christ is, is diverse, that, yeah, there's ears, then there's also mouths, and there's noses, and there's eyes, you know, the whole human body analogy, bringing that into the body of Christ, is that one member of the body of Christ can't say, well, I don't have any need of you because you're less uh, prominent or whatever. You're not a mouth. You're not the one speaking. And so I really don't have any use for you. You're an ear. And so just kind of be over there and listen in and don't say anything. That goes against everything Paul told the Corinthian church when he was talking about the body of Christ and the importance of every member in the body of Christ functioning, of every member within the body of Christ participating, of every member within the body of Christ using their spiritual gifts, whatever those gifts are, to contribute to the building up of the body in love. When we don't do that, when we stifle people from being able to exercise their spiritual gifts, the body of Christ ceases to be built up like it should be. It ceases to be built up the way the Holy Spirit intends it to be built up, because everyone in it isn't functioning. Everyone in it isn't able to function, because we've given that responsibility over to one person or a small group of people, and we've said, do it for us. We want to sit here and listen to what you say because, again, we're paying you to do it. We've professionalized this. It's your career. It's a career path that you've chosen, and we want you to do it for us. And like I've said in so many other episodes, institutional church, institutional Christianity has, in my opinion, trained the ecclesia out of us. Most of the times that you see the word church in your English Bible, it's not the word church. It's the word ecclesia. I'm not going to get into that right now, but you can go back and review previous episodes where I have talked about that, the difference between church and ecclesia. So when I talk about the ecclesia, I'm talking merely about the body of Christ without the encumbrance of an institutional setting that's been superimposed on top of the body of Christ, which needs to be jettisoned, in my opinion, so that we can get back to just being the body of Christ. And the pulpit is one of those things that's in the way or that's hindering that from being done. I mean, these quotes are, you know, are different sources that I picked intentionally to show that even though they're diverse, they all, at the end of the day, kind of have the same idea, that the pulpit is the center of everything God is doing. And it's almost as though if there wasn't a pulpit, they would think that the body of Christ is somehow crippled. Well, institutional Christianity or institutional religion would certainly be crippled, but the body of Christ wouldn't be crippled. The body of Christ would be set free. Because now I have the opportunity to get back to what Paul was saying. Every member functioning, every member contributing, every member exercising their spiritual gifts and having that opportunity in a corporate setting to exercise our spiritual gifts. One of the problems with the pulpit is, you know, I'm getting one person's opinion of what's going on, and if they're wrong, I can't do anything about it. I can't fix it. I mentioned an episode or two ago you know, if, if you have a question during this time, you know, try standing up and asking your question. Well, you're going to be escorted to the door. They're going to take you outside and, you know, they're going to be marked a troublemaker or whatever. And, and it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, you can't do that. That setting is not designed to do that. That setting is designed for one-way communication from them to us. 
And as Martin Luther said, our function is to be an ear and listen to what we're being told. But that goes against everything Paul talked about when he talked about the body of Christ. This is something that we've done. We've institutionalized the pulpit. We've institutionalized the the one pastor leadership within our institutional settings. That's our doing. I mean, church history is replete with that, and you can see it kind of snowballing in church history, really beginning about 110 AD, and by 250 AD, it was really going. And then, of course, as we've talked about before under Constantine, it, it really took off. I mean, church history, you know, that's it. That is church history, is this one pastor or one group of people that got put in charge by other pastors, by the way, not by anything in Scripture or by anything the Holy Spirit's doing, but pastors put pastors in charge, and the thing just kind of snowballed, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and look where we're at today. We're in this system where, you know, narcissistic leaders can easily hide out in that environment and not be detected at all, or maybe not detected for years. Look around us at everything that's going on today within institutional Christianity, and you'll see what I mean. But even in the midst of that, what we see is that the body of Christ believers are in these systems. They're there, and a lot of them are feeling helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. Well, I certainly understand that struggle, and that's one of the reasons that I started the Unsunday show here, was to be able to talk about some of those things that I see, some of the origin of these things, and some of the results of doing them, and to just ask the question, why are we doing this? And kind of throw it out there and see where it goes and see what it does. So that's a little bit more of my take on pulpits and why is there a pulpit and the centrality of the pulpit to the Sunday event and really to the entire week. It all culminates in the pulpit. And this has been given to us again by church history. Those quotes I shared with you are an indicator of that that we've come to view this idea of a pulpit as as kind of a a holy thing, a holy place up front that we can't live without. But that's not true. That's not true at all. So that's what I have for you this week when we're talking about pulpits. We're talking about priority of pulpits. We're talking about the centrality of the pulpit. And so I will leave you with those thoughts. And uh, until next time, you all take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Unsunday Show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com.